Hey everybody, welcome. So glad you're here. We're continuing the series where Eric is going through um, what is our initial coaching program, what became the Figure That Shift Out book. And um, man, Eric, so glad you're here. Way to be engaged. Uh, It's an intense journey. For sure, man. How's it going on your end? Uh, good. It's a lot of prep work to get ready for Christmas and just get some things built that are key for 2016. And some of them are going to be, well, all of them will be fun. Some of them will be fun to hopefully spread the message of uh, the writer book and figure that shift out. So excited about that. Um, it's weird. Yes. You know, you got to plan out the whole month because you got to think about like the, the holidays and different schedules and times and all that good stuff. But here you are, week 10. And so now we're in the results part. We dove deep into the problem and the solutions. Uh, so as you look back over the last week, I always love to check in and say, tell me any moments where you became aware, fear, proving, hiding, shame, and what did you do about it? Sure. So this week's a big one. Today is actually my last day working at this job that I've been talking about every week. Whoa. And I'm really excited to be done there because it's been like a slow burn. Um of course, what comes along with that is some emotions like you, you ever heard of the phrase graduation goggles? Uh, I, well, similar things with goggles, whatever the like mom goggles, right? <laughs> yeah, see like, everything. So I'm tracking with your beer goggles. She looks good. <laughs> well, graduation <laughs> goggles is like even though you might not love a situation, when you're about to leave that situation, you only really focus on the good things that you're leaving. You don't really see the bad things because it's like that whole you don't know what you get, what you have till it's gone. Yeah. Thing. So of course, as I'm making this transition, I'm I'm noticing all of the the things that I'm gonna miss. I'm, I'm trying not to take them for granted. Um, you know, just in my head, like trying to make sure I'm making the right the right decision here. It's such an awesome place where I work. Um, as far as like the culture and the people. And I don't know if I'll if I'll get that anytime, again ever or soon. So, just uh, some of that fear, but you know, bringing it back down to what are what do I really want? And obviously, I know I'm making the right decision, but throughout the week, definitely um, thinking about what I'm going to miss about this. So that's in a way that's like some fear surfacing, right? Yeah, man. And just to say that, you know. That's completely normal. Um, And like everything we talk about, what's on the other side of that fear, it's false. There's no threat to your identity. And that gives you the confidence, you know. And and again, sometimes it's 51% confidence. It doesn't have to be 100% uh, to, to keep taking that next step. And so props, man, on being able to frame it like that, to recognize that this is what's happening in me, where a lot of people, they're not aware. So, um, you know, the heart rate picks up. They start getting anxious. Oh, no, what have I done? Uh, those those last-minute panics, and you're framing it to keep that from happening. So you go into what you're doing uh, not blocked up, not going, oh, i got to make this happen right now. I mean, you know, I, I see it happen all the time with startup stuff. The worst thing you can do is move into your day in a panic state because you're going to do the actions not only from a negative mindset, 
you're going to do the wrong actions usually because there's not a strong sense of calm urgency. It's a freak out panic. And if my day is framed in freak out panic, I'm going to work on lower quality tasks that I falsely think will make some kind of difference. Um, so you've got, yeah, to, to frame it like that, man, that's everything. That's, that's how you s- step into it. Well, yeah, um, I, I, I feel like, I feel like if this was happening a year ago, I'd be like biting my nails like crazy and, you know, just overthinking it way too much. And, um, yeah, I feel like just grown a lot in the last year, particularly like through the program. Um, and it's nice to be able to, to recognize that I'm, yeah, like you said, I'm not coming into it with a sense of panic like I normally would, I feel. Yeah, that's awesome, man. And, and for a lot of people, they don't even realize they're doing that, and they just distract themselves with a sense of, like, busyness that they think is action but really isn't, like, what moves the needle for what you're trying to accomplish or make happen. Um, so right on, right on. Uh, the fact that you're able to see that, dude, beautiful. I mean, that's the thing that I hope for. At this point, there's just continual moments of awareness. Uh, awesome. Any others to chat on before we jump into week 10? No, that's the main thing that I've been focusing on. Well, what about you? Um, man, I love how you asked me that fact. That's awesome. Uh, you know, I continue to live out sight shift for myself all the time. And, and I say that to people uh, when we're going through this you know, coaching program. And I'll tell stories that are really fresh and vulnerable because it's like, this is where I am. And, you know, even in some of my roles, uh, my family commitments, um, just this past week, I was like, there's not a sense of awe and wonder that I would hope would be there. Um, and just recognizing that kept me from being stuck. And it's everything we talk about. You know, I got aware. And, okay, what do I do with that awareness? I lean into it. And I sit with it. And, you know, some things, the change takes years in our lives. Sometimes the change is instantaneous. Sometimes it's weeks, days, months. Well, this just happened to be one of those moments where I processed that and I sat with that and and I allowed myself to feel sad about that and grieve that. And it took a couple days, but then there was like this fresh, new motivation. You can't reattach yourself to old motivations. You find new motivations, even within your lifelong commitments. And I found a new motivation, and it was a sense of awe and wonder. And so uh, I'm like, whoa, this is really powerful. It was really cool to have that happen. And, um, you know, the the thing that I look at continually in my life is, you know, it's week five. Where are the desires? How do I get underneath them? Paying attention to that because that's your fuel. And uh, so, yeah, it's always cool when you have those moments and you get a sense of renewed motivation. Um, I, you know, I think so much of society moves us to numbing out and I want to be like eyes wide open, hair standing up on the back of my neck alive. So feeling some fresh gratitude for that. Um, yeah, man, thanks for asking. Well, cool. Well, let's, uh, let's jump into week 10 on mastering conflict. Um, at this point, you know, hey, where does conflict come from? Insecure identity. And we're just making sure that loop is really tight and the idea is really connected. Uh, so first thing, just to chat on kind of what you walked through with that big idea before we get into some of the specifics. Did that make sense? Like, oh, conflict, unless you're like protecting somebody you love, 
in a healthy way defending some kind of boundary that when two people are going back and forth at each other, somebody in an insecure way is trying to get what that relationship can't give them. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. Um, was it in this podcast that I used the thing about the paint on the wall, getting the wall painted? I can't remember. I don't um, think so. Okay, yeah, I, I, I couldn't, I didn't think it was either. But the story I told back a few episodes ago, or, or, you know, a few episodes or weeks ago in the coaching program about when my wife wanted me to paint the wall and and was like, oh, it's not about the paint, right? She wants to know she's cared for. I want to right. know that my performance isn't determined, isn't determining my worth. And this week is is like blown up that idea, right? It's not about what happened in the boardroom. When she said that and she said that and they got going and then he piled on into the argument, it's about somebody was insecure and they were trying to get that other person to give them what is impossible for them to get, uh, and that is a secure identity. Um, and, you know, whatever it is. I mean, it's big scale. It's not about ISIS uh, just being violent. It's about them not thinking they have dignity, so they got to steal it from others. Uh, small scale, you know, the things that people may say to you on the way out the door. Some are going to celebrate you, and it's going to be awesome. Some are going to be possibly jealous, and they may even say things that they don't necessarily maliciously want to hurt you. It's their own insecurity um, where they're looking, and they're like, man, I wish I could do that. Um, yeah, so that's how you master conflict. That's the starting point of it. Uh, any thoughts or questions just kind of on the big idea of it? Um, no, I mean, I maybe the only one would be that like there was one part in the book where you're talking about how like arguments can happen um, without even without even like realizing it, and I was wondering if that's kind of a different type of thing because you can have like a really close friend that you care about, but like I, I, I had this friend in high school and like a lot of times we would just start arguing like our conversations wouldn't even be like conversations we would just be trying to prove that we're right and they're wrong because we knew so much that we were right and they were wrong Mm -hmm. (laughs) and we like we cared about each other like we were friends but i wasn't sure if that was like coming from the same place of like insecurity or if that was a different kind of conflict or just a dynamic that we had yeah you know to to make it really simple uh there there are times in team spaces Healthy teams, leadership teams, corporate teams, healthy families, which are, we could call teams also. Healthy teams are going to have conflict because people are different. They have different ways of thinking. And they have different desires. Uh, and I want that conflict, um, not in a dysfunctional way like I love conflict. I want us to get honest about what we're thinking and you know, produce the best process or idea through our conversation. Um, so I want that, right? What we're talking about more is it could be the conversation you have with your friend. Like, I've got to prove to you how much I know, so I'm going to argue this point to death. Um, and even though we're both secure enough to recover from it really quick, it's as you, you know, as you move forward in life, you allocate your resources better. I don't want to waste energy having a ridiculous conversation that doesn't really matter. I want to... Um, 
you know, I want to connect with you. And there are times we may have conflict because we're trying to move something forward or we really believe two different things and we're arguing the ideas to produce the best result. Um, but when it's just conflict for conflict's sake, yeah, you want to get underneath what's that insecurity. So there's the, there's the healthy conflict that's coming out of this idea you know, that we want to move it forward, that we're processing, that we're growing, that we're learning, that we're secure people moving towards this common desired goal. And then there's the negative conflict, which is I'm blindly reacting because I feel insecure. Um, that is, yeah, definitely what we're talking about here. And there's so much of it. And so, yeah, with your friend, if it's just hanging out, cool. Um, but there's a lot of people that don't realize this. They're using conflict to try to get a sense of energy. They pick fights to engage the initiative at work, the relationship. Uh, they're constantly lighting or starting fires, and they'll even hold the match behind their back and complain. But it's like, no, you lit that. Um, so they're trying to do that to get things stirred up and to get people activated because they only know how to in a false way, create drama to get people engaged. Um, and that's what we're trying to fillet open and go, well, let's look deep at this here in this moment. So, yeah, great question. And it just comes down with your friend, you know, motive. What's the motive here? Um, you know, I love my wife, but I also love, like, robust, vigorous conversation. And that's not really how she likes to engage conversations or topics. So if I don't, and I had a psychologist tell me this, it's so true. If I don't have enough of that in my day, I'll, I'll uh, pick fights in a dysfunctional way. So, yeah. Does that make sense that it comes down to motive, like with the situation with your friend? Yeah, totally. Rock on. Cool. Um, so what we want to learn to do is, like I was talking about, assess without attacking. Like, oh, okay. You know, I can't control your behavior. Uh, I can't punish you enough to make myself feel good. So I'm going to go to that place in my mind's eye, week six, the identity space. Now I can progress through this and figure out what do I need? What are we trying to accomplish here? Um, Rather than blindly moving through it. Um, So tell me about a situation that you were able to take and then deconstruct it using this. Were you able to do that? Yeah, like a, a previous situation, right? In, like a memory. Gotcha. Yeah, anything. Um, it could be yeah, a past so, or a present one. So there was one time where I uh, was doing some design work for a client, and my approach uh, is pretty calculated. Like I ask a ton of questions up front to really get in the head of the client and like understand the business that I'm working with. And then I come back and I show like a week's worth of work or more, um, on that problem. So, you know, there's a lot riding on that. Um, if they don't like any of it, if they don't think it's going to work, then I can't really change their mind about that. So this was early on in my design career, like pretty early on. And, um, I had sort of borrowed this approach from someone I was working with for a while and I was very new to it. So when I presented what I had made and they didn't react positively, I like sort of came back at them and like started up and I didn't assess without attacking. I attacked. (laughs) Hmm. 
you know, I, I basically tried to say why I was right and why they were wrong as professionally as I could, but it ended up not coming out super professionally. <laughs> um, so that was like one situation that came to mind when I thought about it. That's perfect, man. So beautiful at recognizing that. Um, and as you move into doing now your business with a full focus, what a killer insight and in interacting with clients. You know, I don't want to engage spaces where, if you could think about it this way, I'm cocked and ready to fire. I've already got it pulled back. I just need you to say one wrong thing about how you don't get the scope and scale of this project. And I am going to laser in on that. <laughs> okay, so awareness means I'm, I'm going in, getting what I need. I'm not insecure, so I'm relaxed to engage this. Still in a passionate way, but th- there's a relaxed passion to it. If I'm insecure, I'm cocked and ready to fire. You will give me the response that I want or our power up to get it. Uh, or I'll passively, aggressively hide to get it. Uh, so, yeah, awesome at being able to see that. Um, what I do to keep myself reminded of this, this is what I was talking about, uh, you know, in the email, but I don't think I put it in the book. Um, I can't remember now. I think I may have put it in the book where I, I talk about putting a reminder on my phone. What am I afraid? What are you afraid of and how can I comfort you? Um, yeah. I, did, I, did I put that in Chapter 10? Yeah, I really like that, having that um, as the background on your phone so you see it all the time. Yeah. And just a nice, nice reminder. Dude, awesome. I'm glad I put that in there. Uh, I st- I'm still in that phase of going, did I put that in there? And I'll check. And I'm like, oh, good. Glad I did. It's, there have been a couple things where I'm like, did I? I didn't? Oh, good. Glad I didn't. Uh, <laughs> but the the reminder on the phone thing, you know, I, I did this for like probably a year or two. And now it just sticks with me more. Occasionally, if I forget you know, I can bring it back and then it just gets me sharp again. But everybody I'm interacting with, what are you afraid of and how can I comfort you? Not that I'm explicitly stating that or asking that, uh, but that it shapes how I'm engaging the conversation. Um, occasionally, if there's a strong freak out coming, um, I'll, I'll explicitly ask it. I'll be like, hey, tell me right now what's going on. What are you, what are you afraid of? Okay, I think I can do this to make it better. Would you like that? Is this something I can help with? Um, And when you can interact with people that way, team members, people you love, commitments you've made, they know you're a safe place and they can relax around you. Uh, And then you don't have, you know, all the wasted sideways energy of posturing and pretending. Um, So, yeah, it's been hugely beneficial for me. Uh, Tell me about this week where you were able to ask for what you really needed in an exchange with somebody. Were you able to do that? Um, not really. Oh, well, okay. So here's a situation that I tried to do it with and it didn't really work, but, um, so I'm leaving my job, going on this big trip, leaving tonight. Um, and, my, of course, my, my family and my mother particularly is not excited about that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, like traveling halfway across the world. So she's going to surface her fears. And I obviously don't want her to be scared. I don't, I want to comfort her. Um, 
so I I wanted her to support me because I wanted her to be excited for me. So I just asked her that for that. I wanted her, I wanted like uh, support and comfort from her, just knowing that I'm going to be having an awesome time and that I'm doing the right thing for me right now. Mm-hmm. And she just like went back into the reasons why she is scared or like you know, parents never like seeing their child like or having their child like really far away from them. Yeah. Um, in general, especially like in this world that we live in today. Yeah. So I don't blame her <laughs> for feeling the way she does. Um, and my parents in general are like pretty worrisome people. Like they, they're very like, uh, they're very calculated and, and they like to plan ahead for everything. Mm-hmm. Um, not so much, not so free spirited. Yeah. But yeah, I, I asked her for that and She's like, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Her own insecurity and fear is going to keep her maybe from giving you what you would need. Uh, and you're going to probably have to give to her um, the assurance, you know, hey, I'll text you every few days just to say I love you. You may be sleeping when you get that text, but that I'm good or whatever system I would, I would establish some kind of system to comfort her that she's going to get what she needs from you. Um, something low key that you don't have to keep on your mind. Uh, but you could set a little reminder for yourself with a calendar or something on your phone and just be like, here, I'm going to do this. Um, and it's a great, cool. Yeah. It's, uh, it's a great idea to, you know, always engage relationships. How can I give you what you need? Obviously, we're just trying to get an insight into how to ask for what we need without anxiety also. So good job asking. It makes sense that she couldn't. Um, and just stay on the lookout for that. You know, it can be as simple as as you leave today. Um, you know, somebody says, hey, if I can help with anything, let me know. I appreciate you saying that. Hey, could you, you know... If if something comes in that you guys aren't ready to deliver on, you know, and you know this is my thing, I'd love for you to send that my way. Awesome. Um, You know, I could... It gets really deep and powerful when you've got relationships. And this, for me, is people I work with and, you know, family relationships and friends. Um, Hey, I need you to tell me that... uh, it's going to be okay, right? I mean, there's a guy who is a part of our team. I think I put this in one of the dedications. I mean, that was a cool thing that he would constantly do. Like, it's going to be okay. Um, Another one has like a different message that I need to hear occasionally, and he'll tell me that, and it's so powerful. Um, They learn who you are and how to give you what you need by you asking for it. The more you ask for it, the more you show them that. I mean, this has happened with my wife. Like, I'm going to ask her for a very specific, like, can you let me know that we're good? Because I feel like we're not because I'm not performing and delivering like I want to, Um, especially when you're building or launching something. Very cool. Uh, Any other thoughts or questions about anything from week 10? Because I do want to make sure we hit the, the meta roles that I talked about. Uh, no, I really like this one. Uh, I wrote down a bunch of stuff or uh, like underlined some stuff in the book that 
particularly helped me or, you know, was new and interesting for me to read. Um, but no questions really. Awesome, man. I love to hear that because this is where it starts to get super practical. So, you know, not that there needs to be any setup, but next week we get into what it means to enjoy relationships. And so we'll go more in depth into that or for week 11, I should say, um, for whenever, particularly, particularly that one, that one part where you're talking about how, like, when you're not aware, you'll resent people because they remind you of your weakness. Mm. That is so big. Yeah. Tell me about that. What, uh, you know, as much as you could share, what did that connect with for you? Um, more like on, obs- on an observation level, like I see people resenting each other because they remind them of their weakness. Yeah. Um, I couldn't think of anybody who I really resent or I have resented in the past because they, maybe it was that friend who I used to argue with. Um, I used to get mad at him pretty easily and he like, I don't know, he took a different path and sometimes I, I, it kind of reminds me of my weakness. Like we both came from the same place and we both like did a lot of dumb stuff when we were younger. And I like to think that I've taken a higher road sometimes just out of like self-righteousness and making myself feel better. Mm. Um, like totally, uh, subconsciously. So when I do see him, obviously like he reminds me of my past reminds me of like that stupid stuff when I, I did when I was younger, sort of like my weakness, um, or my strength, depending on how you look at it. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, like that's huge for me. And for, I, I see it happening all around me with like parents and kids and, um, like in particular parents and kids. Dude, that one is so huge. I mean, that's why, yeah, like I talked about favorites get played and, um, so awesome job at seeing the depth of that because it can continue to guide you. What's crazy when you start to see all this, it, you know, not only does it help you function on a day to day level at the highest capacity, it also pulls you out of the fear loop that's always around us with news and politics and, you know, look at the race for the presidency and how people stir up fear. Uh, it's absolutely ridiculous. I mean, I, gosh, my own kids impacted just by news. Because I'm like, the world is getting better. Um, and one of my daughters was like, it doesn't seem that way. And I was like, well, let me just frame it for you on a multi-thousand-year trajectory that, <laughs> you know, disabled people used to be exiled outside the city gates. Uh Turn the things back 40 years in this country and you look at, you know, things that people could say in their jobs that were racist that they would now have to resign for or get fired. Uh, You know, just tons of stuff that we could use examples of that, that, hey, it is moving forward. So when you escape that fear-based trigger um, and then, yeah, you get out of a lot you know, of the dysfunction around us and how we're constantly, you know, playing into that narrative. And I would like to say peace out to that. Um, yeah. So awesome job connecting that. Well, let's talk about the meta roles. Cause this is a huge idea that it's, I've seen it improve my leadership like crazy. The people that I've taught this to, and then they've practiced and lived out have done the same. Uh, so first I just want to make sure it makes sense that these three roles uh, come out of a secure identity. So an insecure, rigid person that's a jackass 
they're like, you should be nicer to people at work. Well, I'm sorry. That's just the way I am, and they have to deal with it, right? Okay, so there's an aggressive leader type who has confused identity with role and then is rigid and locked into one way of relating, not able to turn these other two roles up, the one of sage, uh, which you know is waiting more for the conversation to come, is a smoother delivery, the role of advisor, you could say it that way, and then the empath, the feeler, the connector. Um, did those three roles make sense as just the differences of them? Yeah, definitely. Okay, perfect. Uh, so the example that I want to use is like almost like have you ever mixed live sound for anything before or watched anybody do that? Yeah. Okay, uh, so think about these roles like you're live mixing your life. So one of those you have turned up way up. One's usually partially up and then one's non-functioning and it needs to be dusted off. And it's not about like it's not about like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm this way. This is who I am. I'm, I spent a decade of my life living in the leader role with the empath role being anemic and the sage role at best starving. Um, what's wild to me is so much business breakthrough I've had has been moving into the sage role. So much relationship breakthrough I've had has been moving into the empath role. So I want to turn all three up in my life, but... As life is dynamic, my approach is dynamic, so I'm live mixing. You know, I'm fading some out and fading some in um, as the situation demands. So there's a proactive approach that I bring to life. I want to grow the empath and sage like crazy because the leader role was overgrown in relation to those two. But then there's a reactive stance where I'm choosing that perfect reaction by live mixing you know, my life and going, ooh, I need to turn empath up here. I need to turn sage up here. Does that make sense as a concept? Yeah. So when you want to turn one of those up, how do you do it? Just you mentally become aware that you want to do that and you just like take on that new role or does it come that easily to you? Yeah, that's a great question. So for me, it starts with awareness. And the reason that I resonated with these and that I found others have, it, it, it starts with awareness, but it reduces the cognitive load or the complexity of saying, how do I relate right now? Uh, I've got these three choices. And I'm going to be 70% sage, 10% empath, you know, um, 20% leader, whatever. I, I think that added up to 100. Uh, but the idea is I'm aware, and because I'm aware, now I can make a choice. I'm not so closely identifying with a role that I'm blindly playing the part of that role where the mask of it becomes fused to my face. I get to move in and out of the roles as I want to. So, yeah, definitely it just starts with awareness. And it's as simple as that, but also sometimes it's as hard as that. Uh, because if chaos happens around me, then my natural instinct is to run to leader role. And that's usually the worst choice I could make. Under stress, you're going to run to what you know. And we want to unlearn that. Because you already do that well, and you don't need more of that in stress. You usually need way less of that, and you need the other roles. So for me, when people are stressed around me, I want to run the leader role and fix it. No. Live mixing, fading. I need to turn up, oftentimes the empath role. Oh, man, I'm sorry. That sucks. Ah, oh, I hate that. I hate that for you. I wish I could take that away, but I can't. So let me advise you, Sage. Let me tell you a story 
you know, let me give you space to protest and listen so you'll be hungry to hear what I have to say. That's me moving in that sage role. And I'm, I'm just switching those channels as I need to. Another way that I'll describe it with some people sometimes just to help it go really deep is it's like a recipe. And you're in the kitchen and you're constantly making dishes for how you approach things in life. And the base of the recipe for this situation may be the sage. Sage, get that. Entendre, didn't even mean it. Uh, <laughs> double <laughs> meaning. But you, uh, the base of the recipe may be the sage. And then you sprinkle in some leader and you sprinkle in some empath. Your approach gets to be as dynamic as you want it to be. And if you've been around amazing people that, I mean, this is deconstructing greatness. They know how to move in and out of these um, three ways of relating in the moment. And it's beautiful to watch. So I want to get better at it. And that's why I included it in here. Because in conflict, especially when there's chaos, you'll tend to, out of stress, run to the, the role uh, that you know the best. And that's typically the worst reaction you could have because it's going to get you more of the same, not dynamic breakthrough and change. Um, so, yeah, so proactive, reactive. The proactive part of this is I'm aware and I'm thinking about it and it's how I'm engaging my day. The reactive part, too, is, uh, you know, let's say that you get an email from your seventh client and I know you've had clients already, but I mean, your seventh client in, you know, after going out on your own and they're upset about something, how are you going to respond to that? You know, again, that's the stress thing. So I want to react with being able to draw on one, two or three of these roles. Maybe, maybe they're a total jerk and I need them to move along. So I'm going to come strong with the leader role and be like, here's what the contract said. Uh, maybe there is a system change that needs to take place internally in the business. That's the sage role. Uh, maybe there's, maybe you want them to stick around. Maybe they're not just a total jerk and there's a part you need to own in this. And so you're emailing back with the leader role. Maybe you're defining a boundary with the contract. You've also got the sage part going on where like, Hey, there's a system change to make. Um, and you're noting that for your own internal business, and then you're bringing the empath role. Look, I'm so sorry that happened. I know that made you feel vulnerable. Um, you know, you don't have to say it that way, that direct. I know that's scary to launch things, you know, whatever. Uh, you're bringing that comfort. And if you're able to interact uh, with people when they're bringing their fear to you with using these three roles, and, and using them as you need to, you know, one, two, or all three of them, uh, you're going to be able to have that really sophisticated high-level approach to, to bring out the best in them and lead them well, um, comfort them well, and then advise them well. So it starts with awareness, but when the awareness is there, it, it goes not only just to proactively choosing how you want to be, but reactively uh, what you're dealing with on a day-to-day basis. Does that make sense? Like the angry client email comes in and how you can approach it those three different ways? Yeah, totally. Um, I was wondering, is there a reason that you listed them in a specific order or not really? I may have. That's a great question. If I put leader first, uh, in the, when I don't even know which one I put first, um, that would... Yeah. Yeah, empath, leader, sage. Hey, yay me. I didn't put leader first because uh, that would have been my tendency. Uh, no, there wasn't. It's just recognizing that all three. Now, I will say because of the people that I work with, 
uh, rare am I working with a person that empath is the top one for them. So most of the people I'm working with, we see a lot of growth in their life by turning up the empath role. Because driven, aggressive, they've usually shut down parts of who they are uh, to accomplish a lot. And so um, that, you know, I, I have seen that to be true. Um, yeah, so great question on that. Any other thoughts or questions on the roles piece? No, makes a lot of sense to be mixing that, mixing your life. I like that analogy. Yeah, me too. I'm glad that connected. I, I thought about it afterwards. I was like, ah, I should have put it in the book. Um, okay, I want to talk about one more thing that I don't always get to talk about in week 10, depending on how deep people are tracking. You good so far? Yeah. All right, cool. Uh, another thing with conflict that's just huge is um, noticing your body. And part of this is being connected to the empath role. Um, you know, part of this is just being in a space where you're opening up more of who you are. But I had a situation of conflict recently where I, I started to power up and it was ridiculous. And it showed my insecurity. And what triggered my awareness was I've learned to start just noticing my breathing. Um you know, it's one thing from that story that I tell in the podcast, which is true, where I punched a door. So it's one thing for me to notice, like, oh, I'm punching a door. Uh, sadly, in that story, my first moment of noticing is the reaction afterward I was getting. Uh, but, oh, I want to notice that I'm punching a door. I want to bring that awareness in and I want to notice, um, you know, my elevated tone. I want to notice my contorted face from being tense. So I'm bringing that awareness in. I want to notice the sweat response. Bring that awareness in. I want to notice the rapid heart rate. Bring that awareness in. I want to notice my breathing. Um, and so just having that body awareness. There was a, there's a movie, The Journey of 100 Feet, I think it was called, uh, where there's this, I think it was a French restaurant, and this Indian family... Um, moved into town and set up an Indian restaurant across the street. And the one son is like this gifted chef and he makes the way that, um, the other owner of the restaurant, the French restaurant tests whether somebody has greatness in them or not, as she has them make an omelet for him, for her. And so he makes an omelet for her. And all you have, uh, from the camera angle is like a back shot of her, taking a bite of the omelet and you watch her body language like completely change and she sits up and the idea is she's fully awake and engaged in this moment um that's what we're looking for what takes us to that state of being awake alert engaged and for a lot of people what happens with conflict is they get into an automatic stress response they're not noticing their breathing they're noticing five things out from that, right? The punching of the door. So we just keep bringing it back uh, in conflict to this idea of going, all right, I want to pay attention to my breath. Um, you're seeing a lot of stuff happen right now in mindfulness and other things where, you know, breath can be so huge for people. So, uh, yeah, calm down, take a breath, live mix this moment. And what role do I need to be in? Uh, is a big deal. Um, and then you can make great decisions about 
okay, this is what it means for me to have my boundaries in place in this moment. Um, This is where I'm headed. This is what I want to focus on. I'm saying no to that. I'm moving here. You're going to create conflict around you if you live with a clear mission. You're going to because you're going to be focused and you're not just saying yes to everything around you. And your ability to reduce some of the collateral drama that happens when you live focused is connected to, you know, live mixing these roles. Uh, I say the word roles and Thanksgiving happens. So now that kind of made me hungry. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Any other thoughts or questions on week 10? No, I'm good to go. Awesome, man. Well, uh, week 11, self-explanatory. Like I always say, you need me, hit me up. We'll keep that flow unblocked. Sounds good, man. All right. Peace, buddy. See you next week. All right. Bye, man. Wait real quick before you go. Hey, if this podcast has been a a help to you, uh, just thought you may want to know this. I've stated it, but just to be really clear, uh, we've put the coaching program that I'm going through uh, right now with Eric in our book, Figure That Shift Out. And you can find that at figurethatshiftout.com. It'll take you to the Amazon links. Uh, And we also did another book, two at the same time, the Rider book, R-I-D-E-R book, writerbook.com, thewriterbook.com, and it's a narrative that is the site shift conversation in a different way. And if you're reading those, uh, the feedback I've gotten has meant so much to me. If you can put that on an Amazon review, that would be so fantastic. Uh, We're just focused on letting this take a long, slow burn uh, and do what it'll do, but you help with that. If any of you are interested in going through what Eric's gone through, uh, we are taking um, the interest for that now, and we'll have three cycles of it for next year. So if that is you and you're like, I think I want to do that with Chris, uh, we've got a limited number that we'll do next year where I'll go one-on-one with people. And uh, you could just email me, Chris at Chris McAllister. That's one of each letter in the last name. Uh, Chris at ChrisMcAllister.com. And uh, let me know you're interested. We will go from there. Hey, thanks for being here. Have an awesome one. Peace. This has been The Sight Shift, lead podcast with Chris McAllister. Thank you for listening.